What a privilege this morning, the greatest privilege to unpack the word of God with us. Uh, and indeed, as, as Mark shared, I do think I've got a word for us this morning. I, um, you know, in the midst of the snow days, as I was stranded in London, I was praying for you all. And uh, I really believe this is uh, for our church, this is for our region, this is for our time. And um, we've been looking at Nehemiah. A quick show of hands if you've ever read anything from Nehemiah, ever, ever before. Excellent, most of us, which is just so encouraging. Uh, I just want to start by saying how encouraged I am, how encouraged I am, deeply encouraged uh, by our church by our church and um, just yesterday the amount of people who turned out and I know loads of us uh, were busy and jobs and families everything else this isn't a hurrah for those who did and boo for those who didn't Um, we are one church and we serve many different functions but for those yesterday who could make it it was a profound time just shoulder to shoulder with people painting walls and uh, watching people just get into scraping things and, and, you, and you kind of wonder to yourself, why do we do this? And I don't think it is for our benefit, although it is. We want a nice place to worship and welcome in. But actually, it's for the droves of people who Jesus Christ is calling to himself, constantly calling to himself. Uh, those who've moved away, who've returned home. Those who uh, have never been to church, but maybe want to give church a world. Those who are going to get married here. Those who are going to dedicate the, the families here. Those who bring the children week in, week out to our toddler sessions. Those who are involved in, in worship practice, or the cleaning team, or whatever else that goes on in the life of this church. What a beautiful thing it is to be caught up in the body of Christ. That only ever advances, only ever takes the kingdom of, of, of doom by force. And uh, someone said a few weeks ago, and it's stuck with me, you don't need to walk into a room and command darkness to leave, but you know, you simply you put a light on and darkness flees. And it's that sense of just being present and watching people being drawn to the love and radical, radical life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. How encouraged shall we be? I hope you're feeling encouraged. I hope you're feeling encouraged. Our vision of our church, uh, I want to I, I ask you, but my fear is that some, most of us wouldn't be able to repeat this back to me. And this is my job to make sure that we know this. Our vision of our church is to what? Is to build our church. It is to reach our community here and far. Whatever that looks like, we're working that stuff out together. Some of the stuff locally, we had some of the kids in this morning who, who joined us a couple of weeks ago uh, for, for some kind of breakfast clubs. A quality, amazing moments. But also, we're called to, 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 to build and to grow. So, a part of our vision is we want to plant a bunch of churches over the next 10 years across Teesside. Why not? I know it's hard enough to, to, to paint a wall sometimes a certain colour without it, 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 it having several splits in the church. But, you know, but actually, we've got a job and a mandate to do. We've got to, we've got to extend the kingdom of God. So why not, why not look at this region and say, where, 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 where needs to see models of communities reaching people for Jesus? So wherever that looks like, community, but also to impact our world. Because guess what? There's going to be people over the next 10, 20, 30 years who are a part of this church as we grow and go, who go across the planet and indeed uh, get married, meet people, start new jobs, move locations and all the while taking the goodness that, that God has planted into them here and see it come into fruition where they live. What an amazing, amazing mandate we've got. So this is our vision. Part of our vision line is, is, a, is a, a little throwaway comment which is to create spaces where people can encounter Jesus. 
I don't know about you, but I find that uh, lunch clubs are awesome. I find that uh, uh, after-school events are quality. That taking over a park and doing a free barbecue for the community is incredible. Hiring a cinema and doing a free movie for hundreds of families is amazing. It's all awesome. But if it doesn't point to Jesus and life-transforming power, then I think we're missing something. So we've always got to marry the two up. Everything we do has to point towards his local church because the local church is the hope of the world. Um, So as we begin to create spaces where people can relevantly to them, whether that's music or food or community or church or on a street somewhere or an office block somewhere else or in a front room somewhere, this is all moments of where people can encounter Jesus in relevant ways. So this is what we're kind of leaning towards. This is where we're going. And we thought as a team it was really important to just stop for a moment and, and read Nehemiah. Nehemiah's story is so profound in many ways, and Rachel unpacked it beautifully last week. Uh, actually, Joe was listening uh, to the podcast middle of the week, and again, just soaking up some of the goodness that's there. And I want to bring a challenge from what Rachel shared last week. But it's, it's looking at building. It's building our church, but also it's building you because you are the church. So we're not just talking about a building here as, as, a, as an overarching structure. We're talking about you. Formation for your life, for your workplace, for your family, for your future, for the stuff that you've run away from. Uh, you know, all of these moments that we are called uh, to, to invest in our own lives. Uh, next to Levi's school, there's been this interesting project, and um, I like to people watch. Any people watchers in the room? Be honest, it's a bit creepy, but it's nice. And, um, but actually, I, I always like to see what's going on. So for months, we've been driving past Levi's school, and uh, this has been this marvellous project uh, being erected of these new houses. And Joe and I have discussed it many times. They look a bit small. Are people really going to live in there? E, what these guys do for money these days? They'll put a house anywhere. You know the conversations. But it's been fascinating. And watch, watching this project come to life. And uh, because I was a bit of a naughty boy in school, um, the school used to send me to college one day a week to get rid of me for a bit. And actually, I learned to bricklay. So if you want a house building, I can build you a house if you like. Um, I learned it. I, I forgot, I forgot all really. But, um, but it's been watching this project, and it's in different stages, isn't it? So first of all, you see all these diggers. And, and we all know the story. We've seen it many, many times. Some of us have actually had houses built ourselves. And, uh, but you see these diggers bit of land, uh, it's a bit chaotic, a bit of scaffolding, and you think, oh, what's it going to be? What are they building here? You're intrigued because you're nosy. You think, ah. And then you suddenly see bricks appear. So the foundations are built, some bricks appear, and usually because it's British standards or European standards, I know that's a, one of them sometimes, I know. We won't get political today. But, uh, but actually, you see two layers. You see the breeze blocks, and then you see the, the normal looking bricks. And that's obviously insulation and protection and everything else. And you begin to see these houses emerge. And you think, wow, I can really begin to see where people are going to live. Bear with me. And then you see these timber constructs uh, put on the top of a building, don't you? And you think, right, this is the roofing, the covering. Amazing. And then the windows go in, the pipes go on, the plumbing goes in. And it's all the aesthetics. And it begins to take shape. The garage door, the drive, the shrubbery. And you're like, wow, I can see this finished article. And I thought, actually, uh, part of our vision is to build our church. And yesterday was a prime example. We came in in our droves. We renovated the place. Why? Because we want people to come here and feel welcome. We want to look after and build on what God has done. So it feels like our church have got some really strong foundations. You are the foundations. Jesus is the cornerstone, the uh, scripture tells us. But you are who he builds his church on. What a scary thought. So when you are negative in your tone and tenor, 
It has an impact on the kingdom of God. When we minimize uh, the mission of Jesus Christ, are we limiting the kingdom of God? Actually, we're supposed to be open vessels. So he builds his church on us, which is a real call uh, to, to be invested and to say, yes, I believe in this thing. So yesterday people came in, uh, we're building on the foundations. Uh, we've been uh, in Yarm, we've been in Stockton, uh, we've had uh, so many different areas of outreach, had different teams. Uh, it's been an amazing journey as a church. So now we get to build on this legacy and continue to grow and extend. And I kind of ask myself, which bit are we at? Are we at the bit where we're adding some bricks from this side? Because the foundations are definitely dug. Definitely. We've been praying. We've been seeking. We've been meeting for years. We've been seeing people come to faith. So now we've got to think, okay, are we adding some new windows? Is it a gorgeous annex? Are we going to move some grandparents in? You know, where are we at in this phase? Are we, are we redoing the roof? Uh, and actually, as we look at Nehemiah, some of this stuff is prophetic. Some of it's physical, painting a wall. Some of it is, is emotional, saying to each of us, we've got to let go of the past. You know, that wall no longer can be pink. It's got to be a neutral colour, because pink's out, it's 20 years ago, or whatever. I'm using metaphors. But we've got to begin to let go of these things that we, that we get so hung to. That space is my space. It's my precious. John and I watched Lord of the Rings this week. And it's that sense of we get a bit over-possessive. Why? It's so not Jesus. And then also, just, just I think prophetically, we've been praying. God, we want to see some extensions and some, some, just some apartments put into this beautiful church of yours. That the table doesn't get just, just kind of a bit fuller. But we, we just begin to extend it and see more people come in and eat. So we begin to feed ourselves, but equally we begin to welcome other people to the table. I think on average, our church, the last few weeks, we've had probably three or four or five new people a week come and check church out. God is clearly calling people to come and eat at his table. So we've got to make it palatable and presentable for those individuals. Uh, so that's an image I want to leave with you. But Nehemiah introduces us really to this profound building project. And Rachel touched upon this last week that really it was driven by motion. That he saw a need. He was so moved to the need of his people that he thought, God, I have got to do something. My city walls lie in ruin, he said. And often we can look around Teesside and look at people's lives that we know in this community and afar and say, God, your world, it lies in ruins. What are you going to do about that? Church, what are we going to do about that? And I think the encouragement this morning is, is that each of us are the master builders project. That none of us are at completion. None of us have the white picket fence. And the two up, two down, two cars in the drive, we have reached perfection. But actually, isn't it true that all of us, all of us are a work in progress? That Jesus is constantly moulding us because he's so fluid into his likeness, into his being, to chase after him. And that's why we say, Spirit, would you come? Would you come and draw us closer to the Saviour? Because you know we need it. You know our thinking. You know our rusty points. You know our weaknesses. But God, you see perfection. And you call us into holiness. So church, we are the builder's project. And Jesus isn't just about the building, but he's about hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. And as he died and he rose again, he united us with God. What a great, great thought. I want to look at Nehemiah 2 today. And this is really where we're going to spend most of our time. 
Nehemiah 2. Uh, it'll be on the screens if, you're not, uh, uh, if you haven't got your Bibles with you today. But um, if you have, I'd love you to open that. Nehemiah is a tricky one to find. Maybe we should do the fastest finger first. Who can find it the quickest? Uh, it's actually a tricky one. If you flick long enough, you might just land on it by luck. But Nehemiah, um, it's titled, Nehemiah Goes to Jerusalem. And, um, and it's, it's an amazing, amazing, um, incredible unpacking, really, of leadership, vision, prophetic word, and stepping into what God's got for us. And I think this is for us as a church. It says this, Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I, Nehemiah, was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And of course, Nehemiah is alluding to the fact that his people are naked, that his, his people are shamed, that what they've been promised is not being completed. And he's looking around thinking, God said something about our people, God's put something in, in us. But at the moment, we're feeling like it's not going to come to completion. So it's not just a, I want a nice DIY project. This is a real call. This is a real territorial, I am a T-sider. I feel strongly about this kind of vibe. It's almost like a, it's a local thing, or wherever we're from, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, it's been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? The golden line. And I love this. With a prayer to the God of heaven, before he replied... If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And the king, with the queen sitting beside him, I love that line as well. It was almost like you can imagine the look to the wife, and the wife gives a slow, solid nod, and you know all is well. It's true, isn't it, gentlemen? We, we appreciate that. And, uh, and he says, but how long will you be gone? And, uh, and when will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. A big cheer for Nehemiah. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Terrible. He's not going to his death. He's, going, he's stepping into destiny. It's joyous. It's brilliant. So he was the cupbearer. We know this. He was the cupbearer. The end of Nehemiah 1 actually ends with, he was the cupbearer. And you've got to think to yourself, why does it highlight that? Why does Nehemiah 2 start by telling you, I was the cupbearer? Is he forgetting what he's written? Uh, is he just a bit confused? Does he want to reiterate a point? I don't think it's any of those things. I think simply, he's talking about, actually, how, how often when you and I communicate, and I'll say, hey, nice to meet you, Bob. How's it going? Never met you before, Bob. Uh, Where do you live? Uh, and the next question is, what do you do? Weird, hey? Because what you're going to tell me right now is going to tell me everything I need to know about you. And it's almost like this, this real mantle is, uh, Nehemiah, I believe, for years honed his gift. He was cupbearer. Wow. Amazing privilege to the king. Imagine being cupbearer to the queen. I mean, you'd just tremble, wouldn't you? You would just tremble. Just the whole wine tasting, checking the poison. I reckon Nehemiah crafted it for years. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but you know in those positions he must have been tested. So for years I think he went on health and safety wine testing courses. 
He must have. I reckon he learned for ages how to polish fine metals. And the right stuff to use that makes it smell nice, doesn't give a bad taste to the king. I reckon he probably uh, worked out you know, ways of resuscitating people in case it was poisonous. I reckon he attended classes just to hear about you know, kind of how this went on for generations and generations. Uh, and he probably just trained other people as well. I mean, th- it, it was a lifestyle. It wasn't just a five second a week thing I go and give the king. It was a lifestyle. So when he's talking about being the cupbearer, I think he's saying, actually, this is my, my identity that people and that God have given me, that I, I rest in. But then we hear of this great projection, and I want us to jump into this. Uh, but actually, um, we hear about a God-given calling. Nehemiah 2 begins to say, my heart's broken, that the city lies in ruins, that something deep within him, a bit bigger than a cupbearer's calling, says, I need to do something. Where does that come from? He clearly can't have just been a cupbearer. That time must have been about strategy. That time of being a cupbearer must have been about preparation. It must have been. Because if you put two and two together, you've got to realise that something just collided in his mind and his heart. And he thought, I've got to do something. I know at the moment there's some vacant looks and we're thinking, how does this relate to us, Elijah? I promise we're going to get here. Just allow me to take on this journey for a while. But some of us are in this moment of, I'm an office worker. I'm a teacher. I sit on trains all my life. I'm a train driver. I, uh, I, whatever you do, fill in the gaps. I'm a stay-at-home mum. I, whatever, I don't know, an entrepreneur. I'm an artist. I'm a musician. I am a, what else have we got in the room? I'm a student. Amazing. Actually, that's not our title, is it? That is not our title. And I think Nehemiah's story tells us. And I think, uh, I think, it, it wasn't about his happiness. It wasn't a story of, of saying suddenly he got promoted to higher glory. Actually, and I think this is where I want to get to today. I think there's something deeply powerful about emotion. I think God moves in brokenness. In fact, scripture tells us, check this out, Psalm 34. The Lord is with the brokenhearted and those who were crushed in spirit. And last week, Rachel said this line, and it felt like a punch in the gut. I was sat here and I thought, that hurts. And it was brilliant. And Rachel said, are we, are we in tears? Are we in tears when we are praying and thinking about how to reach our world? Does it cause us in those moments to, to be overcome with great emotion? And I was thinking, blimey, that's a challenge. Like, wow. Like, just to be so connected and on point with what God's got for his people, to have his heart for humanity... That's amazing. And I think Nehemiah captures some of this. And it wasn't in the moment of happiness. It wasn't in the moment of promotion. But it was in the moment of brokenness that God seemed to literally reveal his destiny to Nehemiah. And if you look at revivals, revivals that start out are when a bunch of people are so broken and fed up with the status quo that they gather and begin to say, God, something must change. God, you must begin to move. And God begins to move. So as a church, and I've been saying this week in, week out, but for seven months now I think it is, we've been just gathering on a Sunday evening and just praying. God, we are so fed up with the status quo. We are so fed up with hearing about this disease, or that situation, or this brokenness, or this person who's so far removed from you, that Jesus, you need to, in your power, come in all your might and move. 
And we begin to see God just stir us into action. And Nehemiah was exactly the same. It wasn't through any glorious promotion or, or a happy mumbling along into life of just, yes, God, you suddenly turned up and everything was hunky-dory. But actually, it was when God said, Nehemiah, are you satisfied? Nehemiah, are you happy that your people are left in shame? Nehemiah, what are you going to do about this? You're a cupbearer to the king. How are you going to use your position, your time and your location to see the kingdom of God ushered in? And I want to ask us the same question today. We're not just a receptionist. We're not just a bus driver. We're not just a student. How are we going to use our time, position, uh, influence and finance to usher in the kingdom of God across Teesside and beyond? Because I believe when we go all in, God goes all in. When we say, God, we are so fed up with the status quo, we want to see people who are so far from you come and sit in these seats and meet you in spaces that are relevant to them. That God, their lives are no longer the same. Yesterday as I was painting a wall, I won't name any names, but I was uh, stood there painting along, alongside a great, great human being. And I got to listen to his story about how the Holy Spirit just turned up in his life one day, impacted him, and he's never been the same since. And you think, yes, yes, that's a kingdom of God at move. It's not some divine strategy necessarily. It doesn't have to all be ordered in a nice pretty born line to say, yes, I'm going to get involved. No, it's saying I'm going to turn up and watch God move. And that's why yesterday was so profound just to watch people turn up. Because each of those people and each of us who turn up to serve and to build this church, what we're saying is, God, we are desperate. We're desperate for you to add layers on top of us. We're desperate for people to come and find a home here. So I believe God moves in brokenness. 2 Chronicles says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face. That speaks to me of desperation. That speaks to me of getting down on our knees and saying, God, we need you to move. We're broken. We haven't got it all together. But God, we know in you it's possible. So check this out. This is what I was thinking in snow, snowmageddon this week. On a train in London. And as I was thinking about your life and my life. And I was thinking about Nehemiah. I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about Esther. I was thinking about Gideon. I was thinking about Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about all of these great men and women of faith who we look at and think, they just had moments. They just luckily stepped into what God was doing. They didn't even have a clue. They were just meandering through life and suddenly God hit them in the face. No, they didn't. The story is they waited. The story is they, they spent time behind the scenes preparing themselves for a move of God. And I think I want to say this, that a placement, that sometimes there's a place before a place. I think sometimes there's a place before a place. A placement before the purpose and a, pers- a purpose in the placement do you know what I mean by that? That sometimes we need, we feel, and we, uh, because we are uh, in a Western society, and um, some of us we are still clinging on because we are just young enough into the millennial generation, and we say we need it here and now. We deserve everything to be here and now. We shouldn't have to work for it. It should just be here. It's like this mindset and mentality. It's like the great. It's the great um, delusion of the age. When actually, I think there's something that says. God's purpose for your life doesn't have to be right now. In fact, when we read scripture, not everyone always lives in the sense of suddenly God's answering my prayers. It seems like when we read scripture and what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus, that actually there's real moments of longing, of waiting, of just working things out. Can you relate to that? 
that actually it doesn't always make sense. It, I don't know why this has happened. That's a real curveball. But actually, the, when we wait and we, we devote ourselves in that waiting time, that God always, always, always comes through. In fact, he's always there. It's teaching, it's training, it's equipping. But for some of us, we feel like right now, it, it's got to be the purpose. This has got to be the place that God's got to move in the way that I need him to right now. And it's just not reality. It is just not reality. We've been bending God's ear for like seven months on Sunday evening prayer nights. And it still hasn't worked out the way we've been praying completely. It just hasn't. It's still a process. We know God's done some of it and he's building some of the other stuff. But also for your life and my life, you might have been praying for things for a while or are expecting something to happen or hopes you'd be at a different age and stage right now of where you're at. And for some reason it just hasn't quite worked out that way. The joy is that Jesus always comes through in his time, in his way, and in his different um, uh, workings out. So I want us to have faith and trust in that. Think about the Israelites. They spent time in the desert. It hadn't worked out for them. Esther, again, she was in a similar place of serving uh, just a royal house. But again, there was a real moment of just her family being sold and bought and her waiting and and just, God, what are you going to do? And what God did there. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with these stories. You know, look at Jesus Christ. Jesus spent years holding his gift. Doing what? Just learning. He, he was just in the, around people, just soaking information up. And then suddenly Jesus flourished. The Son of God, you know, the name above all names, just spent time just, just being in a place of obscurity. But the whole time preparing his heart for what God had prepared for him. So my question to you today is, are we spending time preparing ourselves for what God has prepared for us? Honing our craft, spending time in the Word, doing the prayer triplets, uh, perhaps it's, you know, Sundays are great, midweek connect groups, perhaps it's listening to a podcast, or, or again, in workplace, it's just being super on point, doing things above standard, not cutting corners, just living a life of integrity, being a good wife or husband, being a great parent, uh, you know, just paying our taxes, these things that we just gotta, we gotta live to and subscribe to when we wanna usher in the kingdom of God. So we let our passion for Jesus meet our, 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 our observation and, 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 and our, our mapping out. And our goal, we want these two to marry. And when we put both together, we believe you're going to move. So Nehemiah, I just wanted to lay some of the vision stuff out for us about where we're going and what we're building. And I suppose when we look at this church, we've, we've had a real, a real um, moment of, God, we want to see you... Uh, Come in power. We want to seek your face and watch you transform Teesside. Uh, so we've been just preparing this space. Yesterday, we, as I've said, we've uh, painted walls, cleared things, set the kids' areas up. Uh, we're looking at teams. Uh, we want to look at this coffee house idea so that people can come in midweek and just experience the fragrance and the freeness of Jesus Christ. That we begin to talk to people uh, and just pastor and love on people as they sit here midweek. These moments of creating spaces for Jesus Christ to move. Why? So that their lives are transformed. So that as their lives are transformed, that we begin to see others also. 
I work for Tier Fund, as most of us know. I have this amazing job where I go around and speak to different leaders. And uh, part of our model of Tier Fund is that we believe in sustainability. It's a bit like the Conservatives. We want, we want to put a bit of money in and hope that hopefully it's going to pay for itself. It's kind of the model we use when it comes to regeneration. So we've been working in, in this place in the DRC. Uh, and uh, there's this really impoverished community. We work with the, the poorest people on the planet. Uh, in this community, uh, our model is we work through the local church because we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. So if we go in and we work with the church, we train them a little bit, we'll say, look, we believe that each and every one of the, these people in these poor communities has God-given potential in them. That if we just bring it out of them, if we give some encouragement, maybe a bit of funding or a bit of training, that over a couple of years, these guys are going to get it themselves and begin to run with it. And one of these stories that just moved me deeply, it was an internal story, it wasn't for like marketing purposes, is that there's this community that was so removed, we went to see them, uh, we'd been working with them for, for two or three years, and, uh, and literally they'd got it, that they'd be, they began to raise themselves out of poverty, uh, began to clothe themselves, as they raised themselves out of poverty, they send their kids to school, uh, they start little businesses, uh, little micro kind of organisations, just incredible. Uh, but then also, the story I love is that Close to these guys was this community of pygmies. I'm not sure if you, ever, if you know what a pygmy is. A pygmy uh, really is a, a super small person. And uh, these tribes of people who don't have access to other people. Uh, and, and because of that, they kind of keep this, this height ratio of about this big. It's, it's amazing communities, but super, super poor. Uh, and, uh, and these guys were so far removed from anywhere in this little uh, kind of tropical jungle that no aid agency was reaching them. Uh, so that's those guys, and that was these, these original group of people, if you track him. Uh, so these people who we began working with over a couple of years got it. They got Jesus. They thought, right, Jesus brings transformation. And because of that, they started to reach out to these pygmies who, between a tribe of 200 people, had one metal uh, kind of kettle between all of them. That's all they had, and a couple of kind of rags for clothing that had nothing. And then we spoke to these guys in this original community and said, you know, actually, we're amazed that you're reaching these guys. Why? And they said, because when Jesus transformed our lives, we had to look outwards. We had to think about who else we can impact. So the story is that these guys would never have been reached, ever been reached. They were so far isolated. But because these guys found Jesus, lifted out, they began to look around them and say, we need to put models of transformation around us. And I'm thinking, man, that applies to where we live. Doesn't that apply to where we live? We gather to go because we, we meet and, and we get an infilling. We, we lean into scripture. We worship. We spend time together. There's a refreshing. So we go. But why do we go? Well, we go together. We go so where we live it out in our workplaces and our colleges and our streets and our neighborhoods and our connect groups so that people begin through prayer and through these conversations begin to be drawn in to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And this is kind of the model I'm thinking, this, this stuff works. But actually, if we just sit in it in ourselves, if we just say, this is for me and me alone, if we allow this stuff to rust in our hearts and become just for us in our circumstances, then I believe the kingdom of God is chopped off severely in areas of our lives. We've got to be open-handed. So Nehemiah, I think he sees this. And he says, God's transformed my life. I've got to see him build this wall. My people have got to be clothed. Um, so... 
So what was Nehemiah's purpose? Was he just a cupbearer? I don't think so. I think he had a heavenly appointment. I think he had um, some stuff prepared for him that he just stepped into. And there's three things that when we read Nehemiah's story and we go through the, the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to look at this as we journey, there's three quick things, and they're all P's, so they're definitely holy. If they all start with the same thing, it's, it's obviously very, you, you get it, Mike, you get it, don't you? You speak. So here's three things I want to, three P's I want to share with you. And this is when you read Nehemiah. The first one is this, protect what's in you. And I think this is about stewarding what God is doing in your life. And here's what I mean by protect what's in you. It could mean a bunch of different things. For Nehemiah, we read that he says that he took a bunch of people late at night to inspect the wall. Those people didn't know what he was doing. The king knew, Nehemiah knew, and the king's wife knew. But only those guys knew. And you think, Nehemiah, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just say to everyone, hey, I've got the royal blessing. He's given me the thumbs up. Let's go and build this wall. I'll be telling, you know me, I'll be telling everyone. Everyone. But you think, actually, there's something really wise about that. So what Nehemiah is doing is he's stewarding what God's given him. This vision, this goodness in his life, he's thinking, okay, I can't squander it. Because I know if I tell that group of people, they're going to kick off because they want the wall to be pink and really it needs to be white. Or they want the wall to be this style or this, this, you can, you can imagine it, can't you? You know, we want it this stone, we want it this shape. I want to do that door. Can I put my name over there? It, it, just, it would just be chaos. So Nehemiah holds this vision close and thinks, for a while, I've got to steward what God is doing. And there's some things as part of our church as we progress that we are kind of not holding back from telling you, but just holding back from saying, actually, this could be in a couple of years for us. So we're saying some stuff like, hey, we want to plant churches. Doesn't mean we're going to do it tomorrow. I know I give that impression off. I know. Nervous laughter. But we're beginning just to step in and steward uh, what God's given us. But equally, here's how I think it works out personally. For some of us, we have people in our lives that just shouldn't be in our lives, I think, who just speak crazy things into us or say bad things or don't want the best for us necessarily. And I think Nehemiah, when when you read on, he speaks life and truth into certain individuals who he knows are going to answer the call. In fact, he lists a bunch of people who he trusts to say, you build that. I know of your reputation. Can you build that? Can you put that door there, please? And you think there's some real common sense to this. God, I wonder about whether we need to protect ourselves. I wonder whether some of us, this isn't all of us, but for some of us we need to say, those comments, that hurtful thing, it's gone on for a bit too long. God, I need to protect what you've put in me. I need to protect my mind and my heart because it's important. Because the things that you've put in me, I'm not just uh, an X, Y, and Z in terms of profession. But God, you've got a heavenly appointment for me. Like you've got a destiny for me to step into. And God, is part of what I do, I need to protect my heart and my head. There's some sense to that, isn't there? Protecting ourselves. Also, the second P is we need to plant in prayer. We read from Nehemiah that he was a real man of prayer. That before he took any action, he just put some some feelers out. And I was speaking a couple of weeks ago and I said, our prayers don't always need to be uh, a rampage against the gates of hell. It doesn't always have to be that as our prayer life. Sometimes it is just praying goodness and blessing into our lives and our workplaces, into our families, into, into healthy situations, perhaps unhealthy situations. God, we want to give it a sprinkling. Just pray a blessing on that individual. And sometimes as I go about my week, I'll just I'll have a little list on my phone, just some of you guys and God, wherever they're at, would you just bless them? And we've got to just hope and we believe and trust that, that as, as we say these prayers that, that things are being sown in, that goodness is there for us to, to deposit. 
Nehemiah, before he answered the king, he said, I've got to just take a second, I've got to pray about this. One second, king, I'm not ignoring you. I've gone a bit silent for a second. I'm just praying like mad. I wonder about some of us in our, in our workplaces and our situations and the stuff that God's calling us into, whether we just need to stop and pray. And that's what we've, we've been doing as a church for a while, isn't it? Stopping and praying. We're matching action with sowing. God, what have you got for us? So protect what's in you, plant in prayer. Plant in prayer. And then the third one, as we read from Nehemiah, is prepare to take action. Prepare to take action. This is the area that most of us uh, perhaps uh, get a bit lost in. Because we're okay at praying and perhaps we've got an idea of how to move things forward. But actually when it comes to action, what does that look like? And I think it can look like a bunch of things. For some of us it could be uh, this simple thing of, does our, my, does our diary uh, match uh, our vision? So the things that God's put in your heart this year, does our diary match up to that? Are we creating moments of listening, moments of action, moments of saying, God, here's what I want to see this year, therefore I'm going to do X, Y and Z. Does your diary match your vision? What about uh, taking action in terms of uh, commitment, of, of standing by the things that you've committed to? I said I would do it, therefore I'm going to step in, I'm going to hold responsibility. Uh, you know, something like that. It's just matching our words up, isn't it, with our deeds. Taking action. Nehemiah did all three. And you'll read throughout the book, if you want to journey along with us, that he did. He protected uh, what God put in him. He prayed, but also he prepared to take action. And boy, did he take action. That wall was built. It was amazing. And we'll read on in a, few, a couple of weeks as well of how there were soldiers and there was workmen with tools and weapons, hand in hand, building this wall. I love that picture of building church. That actually we need to be ready for, for, to take on the, the, the gates of hell. But equally, we need to be building what God has done here. So our job is to be prepared. Our job is in the waiting moments... Because it isn't always the mountaintop experiences to say, God, I'm going to be diligent with what you've given me. The people around me, I'm going to spend time with. I'm going to do life with. I'm going to invest in as they invest in me. I'm going to pray, God, that your kingdom of heaven breaks through in these situations. But also, God, I'm going to commit to taking action. I'm going to build this wall. That, God, as you've rallied me to, to build this church and to build what you've put in my life, God, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to being the man and woman that sees this job complete build our church build our church my prayer is that God is just is stirring some of us stirring some of us to action to, to a fresh vision to say actually yes this is God this is what you're doing that God actually as we've been waiting and, and resting and wrestling with you that we're seeing the kingdom of heaven break through as part of our vision, we, we released this kind of like strategy as well. We had a really good turnout at the, um, at the two nights, the vision and strategy nights, where we talked about what we're going to be looking at for the next 18 months. And part of those things, I want to hear some cheers here, uh, if we've ticked some of these things off, uh, were uh, refurb the toilets. I know they need you know, some, some tweaks, but we're pretty much there. It was refurb the area in the church. Uh, it was to uh, start some new connect groups, which we've done. Yay! It's the same person saying, hey, who is it? It's Adele, isn't it? It's like, Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, we're beginning to see the kingdom of God advance as we're building church. Part of our vision has been to see people come to faith and our strategy. And we just put some daft numbers in there, hoping that God would move through. 
uh, through those numbers and those faith barriers. You know, we've seen people in the last, uh, and we had the three months and the six months, and a, and a 12 and 18 month kind of windows to, to monitor what God was doing. And in the, in the last three months, we have seen people come to faith. We've started new connect groups. We've taken control of the building. We've reached out and done community events. Um, you know, we are building, building, building this church. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to get involved, to pick some bricks up and to put some layers onto this church, which is you in a physical sense, but also in a prophetic sense. That God, I'm, what I'm doing here, the stuff that I, am, that I am putting on top of this this wall is building for other generations to come and to also build on. Every person is needed. Every one of us is valued for what God has put in us and through us. Now is the time to pick up the weapon, to pick up the stone, and come and build this wall. Can you just imagine what we're going to see? Can you imagine seeing across Teesside in, let's say, ten years, because it's a long, long, uh, long way away. Uh, can you imagine seeing five or six communities of, of churches meeting in different areas? Um, that just, just model church in a way that speaks to people. That, that it all comes through this mother church that we've planted out, that people are released, that right across the region, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people are gathering through midweek services, through weekends, just coming into the presence of Jesus Christ because of what you've done. Because of the wall that you've painted, or the area that you served in, or the toilets that you cleaned, or, or the times that you turned up on a snowy night to pray at 6.30 for the kingdom of heaven to move. And, and, and I think God moves, doesn't he, on his own accord. But we know in scripture when we say, God, we are desperate. God, would you move? God, would you use us? That the kingdom of God comes much quicker. So let's focus our prayers. What are some of the things that God's put on your heart? And I want us just to take a moment to, to be quiet. To process some of this information. To think about the story of Nehemiah. And it, it's easy to think that some of us feeling that place of, God, you've put something in me so clearly, but I still haven't seen it happen yet. And I just want to pray a release today, a release and a blessing. Scripture says that God completes this thing, the work that he, that he begins in you. What an amazing thought. And then equally for some of us, perhaps we just feel a bit lost at sea, a bit tired, a bit deflated, a bit... A bit unenthusiastic. A bit lethargic in our faith. Actually, that's not a healthy place to be in. Rightly or wrongly. And I think we need to pray this morning for an infilling of his power, of his energy, of his mindset. Are we up for this church? I wonder if Mark, if you can come and just play in the background for us. We, we know it's a lot more um, spiritual if there's an instrument. Let us focus our thinking. God, we are so grateful for the story of Nehemiah. That God, you equip each of us with a mind to think and a body to do and a heart to worship you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would blow fresh through your body, through your church this morning. God, for those who are sat on dreams that are going to shake this world. That God, there be a releasing of creativity, of energy, of building, of projects, of investing in people, 
of encouragers from this church. And God, as we wait, we ask that you would fill us up this morning. That Jesus, our minds would be transformed into the likeness of you. And that for some of us, we're just exhausted. I get a real sense that some of us are tired. So Jesus, we thank you for being here. Thank you for walking among us, filling us up. Thank you, Jesus. Let's lean in to him this morning. For some of us, perhaps it's a quiet prayer in our our head of just conversation this morning. Let's have that conversation. For others, perhaps it's it's an outward cry of, Jesus, I'm desperate for you to move. Jesus, I'm desperate for the status quo to to be done with. Would you come and fill me up? God, would you release fresh vision this morning? Would you equip your people for the tasks that you've got for us? That, Lord, you would build, that you would build your church. Father, we thank you that the gates of hell and the enemy's schemes would not come against it. And that, Jesus, you build your church on us. What a thought. So God, this week, would you help each of us in our day-to-day living to give it all to you. To usher in through just prophetic declaration the kingdom of God across the people we love, in the places we love, in our workplaces, in our communities. That Jesus, as we saw goodness, that such fruit would come from it. So Jesus, we worship you now. We worship you because you are incredible. Because we're thankful, because we're grateful, because we're ecstatic that we get to hang out with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.